Hey everyone, I'm Raymond Ochoa. I play Arlo in The Good Dinosaur, and you're listening to the Pixar Podcast. To infinity and beyond! So, uh, how long is this gonna take? Squirrel, you can't rush ours. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. What's the point of going out there? They'll only laugh at me. Stranger, from the outside. Hello there, Pixar fans! Welcome again to another episode of the Pixar Podcast. This is episode number 134. ThePixarPodcast.com slash 134 is where you can find the show notes for this episode. I'm Derek Clements. Well, Finding Dory is coming soon to theaters. Uh, It opens in the U.S. on June 17th. And today on the Pixar Podcast, I'm going to tell you a story about something I learned at a presentation recently about the film. So, uh, as you guys know, Pixar really started out as a technology company. That's the voice of Pixar employee Chris Wiggum. And and, um, cutting-edge new technology goes into every single Pixar movie we make. Finding Dory is no exception. Lots of new technology uh, went into the creation of this. It wouldn't be possible um, uh, without it. So to tell you a little bit about that is our chief technology officer, Dr. Steve May. So Steve May has been with the studio for a long time. And during this presentation, uh, he uh, kind of walked us through the production pipeline that Pixar sucker. used for um, Finding Dory. This is kind of fun for me. I put this image from Finding Nemo on here to remind me to tell you guys that I worked on Finding Nemo. <laughs> I, was the, um, I was the supervisor for the sharks in Sydney Harbor uh, scenes. And that was a fun, fun project to work on. Uh, the thing that reminds me of is how much things have changed. So May talked about some Finding flagship technologies that Pixar has developed that the studio used uh, on Finding Dory, the Presto Animation System, the Universal Scene Description, or USD system, Katana, and RenderMan. Those last three were actually totally new, or in new versions, for Finding Dory. But the way we use technology is still the same at Pixar. We innovate constantly to make better tools for our artists to help make the best stories we can. So to get some context for this new technology, let's let's talk a little bit about RenderMan. And if we're going to talk about RenderMan, we're going to have to go back in time. If if you're willing to start by just You've been at the company for a long time. Um, when did you start? Uh, I started in May of 1982, so it's uh, 28 and a half years. Yes, we're going back in time, not only in Pixar's history, but Pixar podcast history. That's Craig Good, one of the first Pixar employees that I had the opportunity to interview on the show uh, back in 2010. Okay, so that's before Pixar was Pixar. It was still... Still Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm Computer Division started when George Lucas hired Ed Catmull to to start it, and he wanted three things. He wanted a digital replacement for optical, for the optical printers. He wanted digital editing, and he wanted digital audio. Now, picture 1979, and that's pretty forward-thinking stuff, right? That, That was really ambitious for 1979. So the Pixar image computer, that was part of the technology that really was the beginning of Pixar. Before it made movies, it made machines. 
and we had gotten the Pixar image computer, this piece of hardware, working to where, yes, we could do great compositing, and in its day it was just a stunning machine, what it could do to graphics. Of course, now your Mac laptop does more than that, just twiddling its thumbs with a screensaver, but <laughs> it was a big deal in the day. We had kind of momentum. We wanted to go off and be this computer company and do other things and maybe someday, who knows, do a movie. <laughs> Crazy idea. And uh, George didn't want to have a high-tech company inside his company, so the decision was made to sell our division also. And, and uh, we, had, we picked the name Pixar. We took the name back from the computer and named it the Image Computer. It used to be just called The Pixar. We took the name for ourselves and started trying to get ourselves sold, and we were almost ready to be bought by EDS. We were going to go off and, and do, you know, fancy computing stuff with them. It was right before the Christmas break, and we get an email from Ed Catlin saying, well, the EDS deal just fell through. Have a Merry Christmas. And I remember wondering, well, do I have a job when I come back in January? What's going on? And in the middle of all that, Steve Jobs, who had recently been kicked out of Apple, you know, with a suitcase full of 150 million bucks, waltzed in and he bought us for five million bucks and uh, put another five million bucks into getting us going. And we became Pixar. That was in February of 86. Okay, you. I think you can help answer this question that I've always had about the rendering process. When, because sure. I've heard a lot about you know in computer animation it goes to render, but it seems like you take a shot, you animate it, you have it. It seems like it's finished. The lighting is done, the shading is done. What needs to render, or is that is that is that all just like computer code that needs to be put into the machines that then spit out the images? It's a really good question. It's a little hard to wrap your mind around if you're not used to the idea. If you. Think, you can almost think of what we do as, as word processing with shapes. The models are written in a kind of language. They're like a big computer program that hasn't been compiled yet. If, if you've got any CS-type people out there, they'll know what that means. It's turning it into something the computer can actually use, you know, making the usable bits. Mm -hmm. uh, the animation data is more data you're building up. And these are just giant documents that describe frame by frame in each shot what the values are of each thing, whether it's controlling the motion and position of a character or the color or intensity of a light or a color. All this stuff is just a giant pile of data. And I mean, it, it can get really huge. And so when all that's done, you know, that's what people have authored into. Then you send this off to a program called RenderMan, which takes all this information and crunches away. And its job is is difficult, but very simple. It's got to decide what color is each pixel on the screen. And it just marches through, figures out, you know, look, I'm looking at this pixel. What are all the things that influence that? The lights, the reflections, the, you know, whatever's going on. Okay, that pixel is this color. And then I go on to the next pixel. And that's why it takes hours and hours even for a really fast computer to do it. So RenderMan has played a huge role in the film industry. Not, not only has Pixar used it, but other films have used the software as well. In fact, the first feature film to use Pixar's RenderMan was even before Pixar formed itself as a company. Back in 1982, Star Trek, Wrath of... It's used all the way up 
to today, obviously, with Finding Dory, but also movies like The Jungle Book and tons of movies that uh, have great special effects. The industry standard is RenderMan. It's important to remember, though, Pixar may be responsible for the technology of RenderMan, but it's not usually creatively involved in the making of the films that use it. We should die in here. Just relax, we're not in trouble yet. What yet? Monsters out there, leaking in here, all sinking and no power? When are you so thinking we are in trouble? But here's what I thought was really interesting. In the process of making Finding Dory, Renderman not only went through a big technical change that Steve May talked about, but something else happened with the software as well. If you've ever wanted to up your animation game, now's your chance. Pixar Animation Studios has made their in-house rendering software free to download and use. RenderMan, used for all of Pixar's films as well as pictures like Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain America the Winter Soldier, is now completely free for non-commercial use on Windows, Mac, and Linux. That was IGN News reporting, and Steve May talked in more detail about another technology, USD, that Pixar also has decided to make open source, which it plans to do. So with that, with that background information, uh, let's dive back into Steve May's presentation, hear more about those technologies that were used in the pipeline of making Finding Dory, and be sure to stay tuned because after Steve May's presentation, I'm going to play for you an interview that I did with the production manager and associate producer of Finding Dory. So if technology stuff kind of uh, doesn't strike your fancy, as I know it does many of you listeners and, and students interested in technology, but if you'd rather just skip forward to that, it's at the end. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get back to that presentation with Pixar Chief Technology Officer, Steve May. So of all the new technologies, RenderMan is really kind of the cornerstone and it's a completely new RenderMan. Now, those of you uh, sitting here might think like, hey, wait a minute, I thought RenderMan was something that's been around for a long time. And <coughs> you're correct. So RenderMan has been around since the 1980s. We've used it to make every one of our films uh, since that time. Uh, it's also uh, been used in the visual effects industry as really kind of the de facto standard for rendering images. Um, basically, almost every Oscar that's been awarded over the last 15 years was awarded to a film that used RenderMan to render its images, including uh, this year's winner. In fact, RenderMan itself has won an Oscar. So it was, in fact, the first piece of software awarded an Oscar for its contributions to the film industry, which is kind of cool. Now, most of our images are more complex than the one that you just saw there of Dory. And this is the thing I think is really cool. There's a thing called the rendering equation. And when I was in school, one of the things that fascinated me about computer graphics is that you can describe the way things look in the real world using mathematics and physics. And if you can describe them using mathematics and physics, you can actually encode them in software. And that's still kind of, we all kind of, I think, take it for granted now, but it still kind of blows my mind that we can do it. <coughs> and this is a fundamental mathematical equation in computer graphics to describe the way that surfaces look in the real world, and we mimic that in our uh, rendering software. So I'll spend the rest of the presentation just talking about these formulas. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, I was just kidding. <laughs> so 
here's the key thing. Finding Dory is the first Pixar film to use the new RenderMan RIS architecture. Um, this architecture uses path tracing. Path tracing is a particular kind of algorithm that until now was really too expensive to deploy for feature film animation work. But the key thing about it is it can accurately implement that rendering equation and give us more realistic lighting than we've ever had before. So there's direct light, you know, light that comes in through the window. So sunlight is coming in through the window and it's landing <coughs> on the floor or landing on the wall next to the side of the bed. And there's indirect light. The indirect light is the result of light bouncing off of something else and, and, and hitting it. The, if there was no indirect light, that ceiling would just be completely dark. And in the Finding Nemo days, all we could really afford to calculate was the direct light. Doing this complicated indirect light calculation, and this makes it look a little bit simple. The truth is indirect light is bouncing all over the room. It's actually very, very complicated and expensive computationally. So at that time, uh, lighters, our, our lighting artists actually had to place additional kind of fake lights by hand to simulate that bounce light that comes from indirect light. So in this particular case, they would put a light down under the floor and shine it up towards the ceiling. So this would be a light you can't actually see, but the, the light from it would hit the ceiling and would kind of provide <coughs> that fill. But that was all done, all done manually. So let's look at the shot from Finding Dory. This is almost all indirect lighting here because the characters are underneath part of the reef. And so all the light that is on them really is the result of light bouncing around the scene. And, uh, and it's also important to note that there's kind of this cool light that we call subsurface scattering that comes through the edges of the characters. It's actually also on all the coral. And it makes all of those objects, the coral and the characters, kind of look semi-translucent and gives them a very natural, organic feel. It's very important. And again, in the past, lighters would then compensate for this by placing a whole lot of individual lights. Um, now, with, uh, with the new RenderMan, basically that indirect lighting happens automatically. Um, and that's really the goal of the new architecture, the new RenderMan, is to take some of the technical tedium away from the lighters so they can spend more of their time not worrying about how to simulate something that happens in nature, simulate this indirect lighting. They can focus more time on being artistic and creative and putting in the lights that they want to actually help support the story. Finding Dory has lots of water by nature. <laughs> and this is an area where the new RenderMan really, really shines. It really does a great job. Because water by itself doesn't really look like that much. It's, if it's clean, <laughs> clean water, it's essentially clear and doesn't really have color. The color that it gets is from the way light reflects off of it and refracts off of it. When, when light strikes the surface uh, uh, of this, it's basically two things are going to happen. Some light is going to be reflected and some light is going to be refracted. And you probably remember that from like basic basic physics and you're probably familiar with sticking the pencil in there and you see the pencil bend and that's because of the uh, refraction that's going on. So at that particular point where the light, if we're going to look at that one point on the surface of the water, the color of intensity of that point is due to what is being reflected and what is being refracted. It's the combination of those two things gives us the color at that point on the, on the water surface. So on Finding Nemo, uh, water, making things look like water had to be faked because they, they couldn't actually afford to calculate all those things in the renderer. So um, a lot of work by hand. But on Dory, the new RenderMan can basically calculate all those things automatically. So here's, a, here's a, a test shot made very, very early on Dory with the old RenderMan. And uh, it's not, uh, it's a little water simulation, a small scale water simulation. 
and it's not bad. I would say actually back on Finding Nemo, we would have been thrilled <laughs> to make something like this. And I'm not talking so much about the, the animation of the water as much as the way it looks. And so what this is kind of missing here is that it looks a little bit like there's, there's soap in the water, it's a little bit milky, it doesn't really feel like kind of that glassy, silvery, uh, watery look. And the foam, and part of the reason for that is the foam is all faked with a shader and there's no, uh, there's really very limited number of reflections and refractions going on. So here's another test with the character, and it's, and it's the same thing, it's basically the same approach. And the, again, the dynamics of the water are not bad, <laughs> but it doesn't really look like nicely lit water, it kind of has this milky uh, appearance. So here's some example photographs to remind us what water kind of really looks like. And it has a very different sort of appearance. And so here's a new test. Now this test uses the new RenderMan and it does all those reflections and refractions. <laughs> and it's looking a lot more convincing. A lot, it's, it's just more appealing too. It not only does it look more believable, but it also feels more appealing. Uh, there's still something missing. We're not making any foam. So, and we're gonna try to not fake the foam. So what is foam? It's just aeration inside the water. It's lots and lots and lots of tiny little micro bubbles. So now here it is with all those reflections and refractions calculated properly and <laughs> foam that's generated by actually creating bubbles and letting RenderMan kind of do uh, the work. That looks super cool. Here's a, here's a still frame mm -hmm. of that. It really is kind of hard to tell if that's not, but that's a computer generated image. Let's see it later. Uh, basically, we just couldn't do this before <laughs> Finding Dory. Um, another thing that we really couldn't do on Finding Dory easily, or sorry, Finding Nemo <laughs> easily, was fish tanks. Fish tanks are actually really complicated. They're these, you know, as you know, we're all familiar with them. They've got four glass, uh, glass sides and it's filled with water. And so uh, on the upper left we have an image from Finding Nemo. On the bottom is reference video that we took back then. Um, that was as high a resolution as we could actually <laughs> think I'd do a video that, <coughs> at that point. Mm. And the, this cross, this kind of sideways cross-shaped image on the right is a special kind of texture that we would have to create to fake a reflection. Uh, we had, I think, three or four people work for six months to figure out how to fake reflections on the tank for Finding Nemo. And <coughs> the result was we had to make three of these uh, kind of special texture maps for each wall of the tank and the water surface. So, and that had to be done by hand and those had to be created for every single frame of animation. So it was a ton of, a ton of work. Um, now on, on Finding Dory, this is a great, a great, great shot. A lot of that, the ref reflections of the walls, the, the water, uh, everything that you s really kind of see here, that is largely done all automatically. And that would have been extremely difficult, it may be impossible shot to do on, on Nemo. And then this sequence, which I think you might have got to see a little bit last night, is really mind-blowing because mm -hmm. it's kind of like all of these amazing things happening at once. The, we call the caustics, the light patterns on the floor of the stand, the, uh, the beams of light coming through the volume of the water, the bubbles, all those bubbles are actually carved out of the water as a volume like actual air bubbles would be, and ray traced and reflected, and it's all reflected into the water and the surface. It's really uh, a mind-blowing and amazing, amazing scene. So uh, one of the challenges though with lighting, and this hasn't changed really over time, is that 
lighters have to wait a long time to get feedback about the changes that they make when they are creating and authoring their lights. So they're positioning a light, or changing the color or intensity of a light. They, they kind of manipulate like a slider or something to do that. But then to see what it does, they poke a button and they wait minutes, usually, sometimes hours, to see what the render actually looks like. And if it doesn't look like, like how they want it to be, they adjust it again and they press the button again and they wait. And they do this over and over and over. So it's a very slow, slow process. So we added another new component to our pipeline, which is Katana. Katana is actually a commercial product for lighters, and it works really great with the new RenderMan. And what it lets us do is get new levels of interactive editing for lighting that we've never had before. Okay, changing gears. Um, this is another very important initiative at Pixar. It's called USD, which is Universal Scene Description. This is kind of a little bit of an under the hood uh, thing in the pipeline. Um, USD, so there's my, my, what I pulled from our website on USD. Um, I talked about how a renderer takes a three-dimensional scene and converts it into an image. Interesting thing about our industry in animation and visual effects is there's no standard for how to describe a scene. So all the tools use different file formats for description, which means if you bring a new tool into the pipeline, you have to do a lot of work to get it to fit and work. So our, our goal is to, was to develop USD to kind of solve that problem, provide a defining dory, and then make it a new industry uh, standard. But I guess that's kind of under the hood kind of change. A lot of the artists don't really notice it that much, but it is letting us build more complex visuals. So for example, this uh, CFAN model, this is actual geometry. All the veins there are real geometry, and we can animate that and see it in real time in our animation system. That's not something we could have done uh, before USD. Uh, this Ray Parade, uh, the, the school of, of rays here, this was animated and then given as a, as a group, kind of a long shot, and then given to our layout department. And this is all live in our animation system. So we've never been able to see that amount of complexity before in Presto that we now can do because of, of innovations in USD. So it actually is also, it's making our pipeline kind of better and stronger. It's like we fixed the plumbing in the house, but also it's letting us do more. So our plan is to open source USD, and I probably most people know about open sourcing. Basically that means we'll make the software publicly and freely available to everyone. So that's a big, that's a big uh, milestone and big deal for us. So I go back to a Finding Nemo image. This is another one of the scenes that I supervise, the sewage pipe. Very glamorous mm -hmm. job to supervise the sewage pipe. <coughs> but it's pipeline, so I thought it was a good place to end uh, this talk. Um, so there's, there's a, again, there's a couple big things that we're doing on, on Finding Dory. One is RenderMan RES. This is really an entirely new RenderMan, even though it's built on the legacy, the long successful legacy of RenderMan. Um, it gives us more believable results. Um, it gives us simpler setups for our artists. It's especially good at water. And it allows our artists to have interactive feedback when we're using it with Katana. Uh, USD. Universal Scene Description. This is going to be a new industry standard. There's a lot of, a lot of our cohorts <coughs> in the industry are very excited about USD. Uh, can't wait to get their hands on it. Allows our tools to talk to each other. It reduces the uh, complexity of our pipeline and it increases the visual complexity that we can get in our scenes. And our goal is to open source this later in 2000, 2016. Actually, it's not our goal. We will, we will open source it. And, and then Presto, even though Presto is now a mature system for us, it's still the best animation system 
we think in the world. That's it. Thank you. We have time for a couple quick questions. <coughs> yes, please. So in, in scenes in Finding Dory, how many actual light reflections and retractions are going on at any given time? Uh, well, there are, there are billions of those individual light rays happening. And each one of those rays has up, up to, generally we do about 10 levels of reflections for refractions for each one of those rays but it's on the order of billions per, per frame. Wow. Yes. How easy is it to, to predict where the technology is going? Um, sometimes it's, it, it's kind of easy. Um, the, the, some of the techniques that we're using now were developed actually a, a while ago. <coughs> and so you kind of knew that eventually those, they would be applicable, but we just didn't have the compute, compute hardware and we didn't have smart enough algorithms to make it efficient enough to use. Um, so, uh, kind of a lame answer. It's, it's a little bit of a mix. In some ways, it's hard to predict. Other things you can tell, like, hey, I know that in five years, you know, we'll be able to do uh, do something new that we just can't do now because we don't have the computational power, for example. Yes. Uh, just knowing that, I mean, with each Pixar film, it does seem like the technology advances every single time. But I'm curious how much the content of the film drives the advancing technology versus the advancing technology kind of having an effect on the films and like making them and just giving them the opportunity to try them. Yeah, we, we feel like there's kind of this a fun symbiotic relationship, mm -hmm. you know. So for the most part, the, the, the majority of the time, the content of the films drives the technology. You know, for you know, for Sullivan, we needed to figure out how to make fur. You know, for for Nemo, we, we, water was a brand new thing for us. Uh, but we also think that there's an interesting uh, results happen when we create technology because we kind of are looking ahead. It doesn't necessarily need it by a movie right now, but if we do that, that often will we say inspire the art. We kind of try to say like, hey, that's cool technology. I wonder how we could use that. So, so USD being open source seems like a pretty big deal. Can you talk about it that is. decision to and, and other software that is comparable to that? Well, there um, there is another uh, file format format that's been successful called Alembic. Hmm. Uh, Alembic has a smaller scope; you can't actually use it to describe the entire 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 scene. Um, so that is really the only other open source standard available that's similar to USD. Uh, it it is uh, a very valuable technology to us, uh, but. We think that strategically, it's actually more valuable if, if we if we share it. Hmm. Um, there are there are there are times when maybe it makes more sense to kind of keep things private and proprietary, and there are other times where you actually get more benefit from sharing. It's the same reason that we publish papers hmm. describing techniques. Uh, we could keep those private, but we feel that if we publish papers, that then researchers will build on that research and we'll benefit from all those researchers. Hmm. Uh, and it's, we kind of feel the same way about. Uh, making uh, a USD open source. If we make it open source, it becomes an industry standard, it'll automatically be in the tools that we use. Mm. So we won't have to implement things to, to get the results we want. Yeah. So. Yes? Yeah, so with all the new technologies and the improvements, how do you manage to be consistent to the original mm. hackers from back in the original movie? Like how is that challenge? Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting challenge. I, I mean, so I think you're asking, as the technology advances and the, the the look of the films advances, how do you still keep it 
cons the consistent, so you feel like it's the same. Yeah. In fact, there's a scene in. Yeah. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> there's a scene. There's a scene in uh, uh, in Finding Dory that actually is part of a scene that was in the original film. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so it's it's a little bit of a balance. The what we try to do. Is so we don't make um, photorealistic imagery. A lot of things look kind of real, but they're they're charactered, especially the characters, um, are exaggerated. You know, the uh, Mr. Incredible has ankles this big, <laughs> you know, thighs this big. You know, that's caricature. Uh, so we are able to kind of keep that consistent, even though we might make improvements, say, in the quality of the lighting or the quality of the shading. Uh, so we can kind of maintain the caricature while still improving the overall overall look. But we, we, we we're careful, very careful with that. So it doesn't feel like we've made some kind of jump and that's not the same character anymore. We have to be very conscious. So. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks to you. Hello. Yeah. So this is my little uh, handheld studio. Here. Okay. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love podcasts. <laughs> Agree. Yeah, me too. Actually. Yeah. What are some podcasts that you like to listen? to? I'm a big fan of um, Fresh Air. Yes. Um. Well, m a lot of the NPR stuff. Yeah. This American Life. Yeah. And cereal. Into cereal. Cereal, definitely. <laughs> Although I'm not through the second season yet. Okay. Yeah. And. You know Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing? I love that podcast. I like the ones where, where people are being interviewed, so I'm feeling yes. like real excited to get well, to be with you today. <laughs> yes, now you are one of them. Yeah. So, How about Film Spotting? Do you, do you oh, you guys? I love Film Spotting. Spotting's one of my favorites. Yeah. I listen to it almost every week. In fact, when I'm out biking, that's Film that, Spotting. That's your go-to. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, could you just say your name and what you did on the, on the film, or what you're doing on the film? I guess it's not done yet, is it? Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm Bob Roth. I'm the associate producer. Okay. Hi, I'm Becky, Becky Neiman-Cobb. I'm the production manager for Finding Dory. Great. Well, I am very excited to talk to you today. Um, Finding Dory looks fantastic. I loved the footage that, that we saw yesterday. Oh, good. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a journey. It it's so great to be here. Yeah. I'm just looking forward to audiences being able to sit in the theater and enjoy yeah. uh, laughter and you know some of the uh, oohs and ahs. It's yeah, really exciting. Yeah. Well, so speaking of audiences, I wonder, I think a lot of people are like, a sequel to Finding Nemo? <laughs> like, why do we need a sequel to Finding Nemo? What would you say to those people? What would you say to people that are like cynic or skeptical of of the of the production? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know if you if you uh, heard Andrew talking about this um, also when you guys were looking at the footage, yeah. but um, he he thought the same thing. He was like, Finding Nemo, it's complete. Like this yeah. is a complete story. Yeah. I feel good about it. Um, but then something happened about like five six years ago where he was like, I think I need to. I don't think it is. I think Dory. There's still so much we we need to to explore with Dory. Yeah. And you know, what if what if she gets lost? What if you know he started to worry okay. about her? Would, would she be able to to make it? And so that began. That was sort of the seed that grew into what you know we're all working on today. So. Yeah. And the Pixar, they they won't make a sequel unless they have a good story. Yeah. And so uh, about four years ago, I know Andrew came up with a kernel for an idea, and he yeah. pitched it some to some of his closest collaborators at Pixar. Yeah. Everyone was thumbs up. This is great, and yeah. just really sad to move forward on it. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's cool because Dory is such a beloved character. Mm -hmm. It's it's you know 
yeah, I think it's exciting to have something that's about her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the thing that's so exciting to me is is watching and watching the footage. I realize this is the best sequels take things from the first film and they deepen them. They they don't just do more of the same, but it's it's something that and, and there's some things that happen in the footage that I would never would have thought of, but but seeing it, I was like, oh, of course that's what happens. And and it, it, that was where I, I realized something special was was happening here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking too, like. Um, you know, in Finding Nemo, we see Dory and Marlon together, and we see Nemo and Marlon together. But I think what's really exciting is we get to see a lot of what is life like now. Yeah. It's you know, it takes place one year later, and you're seeing Marlon, Nemo, and Dory, and they all live together. And I right. think there's something really gratifying about seeing that for the fans. I, I know I feel that when I get to see them together. And totally. yeah. I always think about in the first film how Dory helped Marlon find uh, Nemo, yeah. and in this one, uh, Marlon and Nemo get a chance to help Dory. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's like now you sort of flip flop, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and Ellen is such a great, um, I mean, per person in the world, yeah. and then her her performance so just is so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah we told we feel that anytime you know we'll we'll go and record her and, and come back and, and then see the footage with with Ellen cut in, we're like, oh man, yeah. she just makes it. She is Dory, yeah. and and it's you know we feel so lucky to get to be working with her on right. this. Right. Yeah, I've loved to watch some of the things that they did, just ad libbing on the stage. Cool. And it yeah. becomes part of the story. Yeah. And Ellen brings so much to the performance, you know. And it just, I think, gives the animators a lot to work off it's of. True. You know, her it's voice true. is so rich and with comedy, you know. Definitely. Um, can you think of any particular moment that was that was improvised or anything come to mind? Oh, man. That's a, that is a good one. I'm trying to think. I put on the spot. The I know. I can think of others later. <laughs> if you think of it, let me know. So I'm curious what your what your day to day job looks like. So as as uh, associate producer and as production manager, what are you actually doing? And do you answer to Andrew or do you answer to Lindsay or what is is it a combination? Good question. I I consider myself sort of lieutenant to Lindsay Collins, okay. but I feel like a dotted line to Andrew as well. Yeah. You know, but on a day to day basis, you know, we often meet with you know any of the twelve departments that make up our production and. And just hearing about what they're up against, what what sort of um, their sort of details are, and um, oftentimes we have to work with them to make things maybe go smoother. Um, any problem of any given day is is a possibility for us to, yeah. to be assigned, you yeah. know, sort of uh, troubleshooting. Yeah. And Becky does a lot of time. You can talk about. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I I feel really I I love I I feel really lucky. My I get to I. Part of my job is spending a lot of time with Andrew. Mm. It's sort of like the equivalent of first AD in live action. Okay. So I get to, you know, uh, help set up his day and prioritize what departments he sees and when and in what order. And, and, and I get the fortunate opportunity to get to go to almost every uh, director review. And, and so I, I feel my, I, I have this, um, I'm so fortunate. Yeah. And, and what, I would, what I do with that is then help make sure that if something comes up in one review, say in, the art, in an art review that may affect um, uh, lighting, you know, I'll make sure I get with um, the lighting manager or the DP right. and relay that information. And okay. um, because I get this sort of really amazing perspective of getting to to, to be a fly on the wall in all of these uh, reviews. And then and then the other half of my job is really helping, you know, really managing the production. And like yeah. Bob said, you know, we've got twelve different apartments um, in the pipeline, and, and and the crew can grow up to mm. over four hundred people. And so just making sure that you know everyone's staying working on the same thing and yeah. and, and staying. Uh, 
focused and on track. Yeah. yeah. A lot of responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. <though. laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah. What have you learned about Andrew Stanton as an artist? I mean, he, this is this is one of the the great animation people yeah. in in animated history. What have you What have you noticed working with him? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel we feel so fortunate that we get the opportunity to work with yeah one of the greats, and he yeah. he you know he helped start Pixar and in yeah. and, and this in this animation as a as a as a as a form. Yeah. Computer yeah. animation. Um, he is one of the most passionate directors I, I've ever worked with. Yeah. He, um, you know, when you're working with him, there, there's never a, he's so he's so clear about what his his direction, which for artists is is really helpful. There's never mm-hmm. any confusion about like, well, now what did that note mean? Like he's mm-hmm. really clear, and mm-hmm. people feel really motivated by that. Yeah. Um, he's also I think he's great at um, coming up with really sweet character moments mm-hmm. and characters. Mm-hmm. Like I think his characters are That's some of the so fa- fantastic and so appealing and yeah. um and 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 even relatable even though they're you know creatures sea creatures yeah yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah yeah i just think of him as a visionary and amazing storyteller and you know he's actually tons of fun to work with mm. and um thinks so fast oh my gosh he's, he's he'll come in the morning and have funny stories to tell us or he'll text us things on the weekends you know right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's a really funny guy uh-huh. and he, he really he loves to connect with us yeah. and it just in the same way he likes to tell stories and connect with his audiences, yeah. you know? Yeah. Is there an, an, an interaction with him that um, you can recall that was like, wow, I really learned a lot from from this one thing that happened, or this, maybe there was a problem that you guys were, were dealing with, or some kind of issue that you're working with, and, and then you see the way that he interacts with something? I think about how there'll be things in reviews that uh, he doesn't obsess about the details mm-hmm. because yeah. he knows he'll get another shot at yeah. it later. He wants mm-hmm. to see how it's yeah. looking on down the pipeline, yeah, you know, and I think his, his sort of veteran nature just allows him to be he's confident. He, yeah. he has like, oh, that's okay. That's okay. I'll look at it um, yeah. in the next department. That's cool. such a, that's totally, that's a perfect point, Bob. Like, I yeah. think um, he's had so much experience yeah. um, and which, you know, which means he's got a lot of confidence around things that ordinarily I think um, Pixar people, myself included, may obsess about and yeah. worry about. And so, um, you know, I feel like it's not an out of character for him to say something like, like, well, if somebody's looking over there, like if somebody's really worried about maybe something is slightly broken in the top right screen right corner, yeah. he'll say, you know, if somebody's looking there, we're not doing our job. And so he'll remind us of we need to be focusing on telling the story. And, yeah. and, and I think we're all such perfectionists. We may be distracted by those sort of little things that yeah. may not make the most sense to be spending our time on. That makes sense. That makes sense. So. I think of I think of Nemo that that film as being a really significant movie in Pixar history. So I just want to say that and let and let you guys react to that a little bit. It seemed to me that because I was a big Pixar fan before Nemo, and like I, 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 but it seemed to me that with Nemo, people in the outside world started realizing, oh, these are not Disney. This is separate yeah. from Disney. Yeah. My perception is that a lot of people um, found, figured that out with Nemo. Do, you, yeah. do you, is that what do you think about that? Is, is that yeah, that's. That's interesting. I mean, I, I remember, um, I remember. Well, for personally, same thing. I, yeah. I was a huge, huge Pixar fan, and, and I remember where I was when I saw Toy Story, yeah. and, and what a big um, moment that was for me. And I was in college, and I thought, oh I, man, there's this thing called computer animation. Yeah. I, I, I'm really, I, I gotta, I gotta look into that because, yeah. and, and I just thought, uh, you know, the storytelling was amazing, and and, and then, sorry, fast forwarding to Finding Nemo, um, yeah. I had actually just applied to Pixar, oh, wow. and, and and I remember watching it in the theater loving it and then being like I hope they call me for an interview yeah and so and and fortunately it worked out and um, but yeah no I I, I just think 
I'm a I'm a big fan. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I mean, you know, I guess the thing that comes to my mind is uh, I have a nine year old daughter, mm-hmm. and when she was one and a half or two, yeah. she started watching both Finding Nemo and Wally, and yeah. this was before I worked for Andrew. Yeah, and those were two of her favorite movies, yeah. and if she watched Finding Nemo over and over again, I thought this is such a great story. Yeah. I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? Well, guys, thank you so much for talking to me. It's a real pleasure thank to talk you to you so me. much. Thank I, you. I, nice yeah, to meet you. Thanks for doing the blog yeah. for us. Thank you. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. Really nice. <laughs> and good luck with the rest of the Yeah, you too. Safe travels back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Squirt here will now give you a rundown of proper exiting technique. Mom, it's just my boo. Don't let it happen again. Yes, well, uh, I'll try to be less careless. It's got this kind of burning, melty, it's not really a smoky taste. It, it, it's a certain, oh, it, it's kind of like a, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like this boom, sap kind of taste. Don't you think? What, what would you call that flavor? Lightning? Don't look at the light! I can't help it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. Thank you for listening to the Pixar Podcast.